Hi, my name is Caleb. I lead the creative and production teams at DCC. Thank you so much for listening to a Church in the City podcast. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to update you with some very exciting news on the Roots Project and its partner project, Miracle Grow. Since early February of 2023, we've been raising money to put a down payment on a church building on the northwest side of Grand Rapids. And as of today, May 1st, we've raised all of that money and even more thanks to God's perfect timing and the generosity of so many people who were obedient to his nudges. Uh, Because of this, we were able to close on the building and the first phase of renovations begins immediately. We had a small gathering of some of us tonight in the building, praying and worshiping and just being thankful to God for his faithfulness in knowing that we wouldn't be a mobile church forever. It feels so good to know that this place is our home now, and we're just so excited to dig in and like move in and make it our home. Uh, Because of that, that means we're not done uh, fundraising yet. Our next financial milestone is another fifty dollars to $80,000 to further phase one renovations on the building, help us get it furnished and just, you know, move in. Uh, we've got a lot of people partnering with us and we're asking that you join us as well. I want to invite you to take a minute, go before God and just say, what would you have me do? Is there a way that I can partner with DCC, The Roots Project or Miracle Grow? Is there a way that I could share the information about this stuff with some people around me? Um, My boss, a coworker, a friend, somebody in my family, um, seeing if maybe they would want to partner with us on this project. Uh, Everything you need to know about The Roots Project is at achurchinthecity.org slash roots. There's also a link in the show notes. There you'll find our goals for the project, the building, you'll find a way to donate, uh, and just a, like a little thing about donating, like, I mean, if you've got five bucks, you've got five bucks you just give in accordance with what, you know, God shows you that you have to give. Um, speaking of that, if it's not money, but you've got time or skills, we're looking for volunteers. Uh, and that's our program miracle grow. So like right now we need some help with demolition of some old walls. We've got to rip up carpet, all that stuff. Um, you can find out more about that or like if you're a general contractor or an electrician, you've got like a specific skill you'd like to lend. You can find out more about that at a church in the slash miracle grow. And again, there's a link in the show notes with that. I want to thank you for listening. I want to pray that you enjoy this message, that it enriches and encourages you today. And then it serves in towards fulfilling our mission of empowering a movement of passionate Jesus followers. How's everybody doing today? Man, like I'm getting worn out with all this sunshine. Seriously, it needs to rain, right? No? Okay, boo, okay. Boo! Yeah, don't throw stuff at me. I'm pretty quick. So, okay, we're in the midst of a six-part series on walking with a renewed mind. And um, for those of you that don't know, uh, 
the Lord's just really done cool stuff in our midst. I tell people all the time, when we, <laughs> today, today, DCC looks nothing like I expected it to look. Jamie and I expected it to look. Uh, all of us expected it to look on day one. And it's really, really, really cool. So when we, uh, yeah, I just, I'm so blessed every time um, I think about it and just honored to be amongst such uh, great and amazing um, followers of Jesus. So when we do these series, um, just to give you a little sneak peek behind the curtain, we literally get together with um, several folks, whoever can make it from our uh, elder team. And, um, you know, we basically have like a whiteboard session. And normally it happens over Zoom. Sometimes it happens, uh, you know, someplace, uh, you know, uh, actually like in person or whatever. But more often than not, it's a Zoom meeting. We just literally go, hey, here's a topic. What can, we, what can we talk about? What does this look like? What's our win? What would we really want people to walk away with, right, from a series like this? And every time we do that, it's always very, very important to us that we also talk about, like, literally putting real tools in people's hands to walk this stuff out. Because otherwise, this is all just theoretical, and we might as well sleep in. Okay, I don't know about you, but I got up at 5.30 this morning and, you know, at the end of the day, if we're all just going to pontificate needlessly up here for no reason than to hear ourselves talk, um, I got better things to do than that. But really what we're here to do, as you know, as you've seen, as you've heard, as we say all the time, is to equip and empower a movement of passionate Jesus followers. So when we talk about walking with a renewed mind, it's important to talk about, okay, what does that actually look like? And what are the real tools that we can develop to walk some of this stuff out? So today we're walk, talking about walking with a renewed mind toward sonship. Okay, and sonship, when I say sonship, I mean being sons and daughters of the Most High God. I mean being children of God. So when I say sonship, please forgive me. It's not a gender specific term. This is really a, a term that we're using to say that we as men and women have been grafted into the family of God, that we have been declared children of God and heirs, co-heirs with Christ, okay? So as we talk about this, really, really important to me and to all of us that we talk about things that are actually practical that you can take away. All right, we're gonna start. We're gonna start this morning. Let's stop. Sometimes my mouth gets moving faster than my brain. I got to give it a minute to catch up. All right, so we're gonna start this morning in Romans in chapter eight. Okay, and if you read the weekly, if you still get email, uh, you may have read this. But I'm reading for you here. Romans chapter eight, starting in verse 14, says this. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba's Aramaic it's a very, very familiar term for father. So when you think, when you hear Abba, when you read Abba, it's more like daddy, okay? It's more like, it's more like papa. 
If you want to challenge your level of intimacy with God, I had somebody challenge me this several years ago. You want to challenge your intimacy level with God, challenge yourself to begin calling him Papa. I don't know about you, but I grew up with this idea that God is this, this mean old like something like with a beard and, you know, you know, the whole Zeus kind of thing with, you know, like, you know, thunder and lightning and, and trying to smite people with his furious anger and all that sort of stuff. And so that was a really rich time for me as, as I was challenged by a, by an older brother to say, Hey, <laughs> look, dude, if you literally get to a place where you can call God Papa and you can do it with awe and with reverence and in the way that the God of gods and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would deserve man as something really special. So this is what he's saying. He said, this is the spirit of adoption that's crying out, right? The spirit of God has given us, we've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I heard a man say one time, I was listening to him speak, and he said, you know, we talk a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, especially in charismatic church circles where we talk about tongues and prophecy and healings and all of this sort of great and amazing stuff that we all love to see God do and, and love to participate in and believe deeply and richly that the Lord has called us to participate in. We talk a lot about that stuff. He said, but you know what? Did I do that? Or was that the anointing? <laughs> All right. Um, he said, you know what? He said, I think that we, we gloss over what I believe to be one of the most important ministries of the Holy Spirit. And that is that the Spirit of God is in us testifying to our sonship. Okay, so literally think about this every day, all day long, as you go about the course of your life and you do all the things that you do, the spirit of God is in you and he's whispering, you're my son. And I don't know about you, but I'm not always the best at listening. So here's the spirit of God in us, leading us, leading us in the path of sonship, the path of family, right? It's interesting here, though, and the Lord showed me this this week, and maybe y'all figured this out a long time ago. I'm just slow, but the Lord showed me this this week as I was meditating on this passage. There's really, let's call it, Let's call this passage a tale of two leaders. And on one hand, we have the fact that the sons of God, the sons and daughters, the children of God are led by the spirit of God. And on the other hand, we have that slaves are led by the spirit of slavery to fear. He says, you have not been given a spirit of slavery leading again to fear. But the spirit of God in you has given you the spirit of adoption as sons. 
We've said over the last few weeks that walking with a renewed mind means living in sync with the mind of Christ that we've been given. It means that we see things the way that God sees them and think about things the way that God thinks about them. So if we truly desire to walk with a renewed mind towards sonship, we need to begin asking ourselves, which spirit am I being led by? Right now, in this moment, or yesterday. But how can we tell? According to the passage in Romans we just read, it's simple. The spirit of slavery leads us into fear. So if we recognize that we're in fear or headed that way, we know which spirit is leading. But fear isn't as simple as being afraid of danger. The fear we're talking about masquerades itself in many forms of ego-driven behavior. Not being enough, having to prove ourselves, having to defend ourselves, having to control our image in the way others see us, having to justify ourselves or compare ourselves to our peers, having to hold on to our success or our status. The list goes on. But the Spirit of God testifies in us that we are sons and heirs, Amen. that we have nothing to lose, nothing to prove, and nothing to hide. And if the Spirit of God has given us this spirit of adoption, we are safe, secure, and we have everything we will ever, ever need. All right, I'm done. No. Luke 15. Luke 15, we read a parable. And I, I've, I've, I've spoken on this parable several times and I, I'm not gonna get too, too in depth. There's a couple of things that I was struck by this week as I was thinking about this. And depending on your translation of the Bible and all of that sort of stuff, which by the way, you know those little titles above the passages in your Bible, as helpful as they may be, they're, they're arbitrary and subjective. So I like to change them. Because I figure if the good people of the Lachman Foundation can just name the parable, the parable of the prodigal son, I can rename it the parable of the good father and his two sons. Because to call this the parable of the prodigal son is really to cheapen the story, in my opinion, humble as it may be. Because it's really a story about a family. And it's a story about a family culture that two sons existed in with a father. And Jesus draws us as a parallel to the way the family of God operates. And you know the story, right? I won't read the whole thing word for word, but two sons, younger son goes to the father. Hey, dad, I wish you were dead. Please give me my inheritance. Okay, he didn't really say that, but realistically from a cultural 
perspective, in that time, that day, literally, if you're going to your father while he's alive asking for your inheritance, you're saying, I, you might as well be dead and I don't need you around, I just want your money. So the younger son goes to the father, asks for his share of the inheritance. Here's an important part. He divided it between the two sons. That's why it's the parable of the two sons, not just one. He divided the inheritance between the two sons. The younger son, who we focus on a lot, goes off and squanders the money on whatever, profligate living. Okay, let's just call it that for the G-rated version. And then finds himself hungry, comes to his senses, and says to himself, man, even my father's servants have enough bread, have plenty. So I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna go back home, and I'm gonna say to my dad, dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've sinned against you and against heaven. Just hire me as one of your servants so that I can have some bread. So he heads back. Comes back, you know the story, we actually sang about it this morning. He comes running, he kisses the son, puts the robe, the ring, the sandals, all that stuff is deeply symbolic. We won't spend a lot of time on that this morning. Restores him to a place in family. Literally, the son comes to the father, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and the father just cuts him off. He's like, shh. He's like, you, get a robe. You, get some sandals. You, get a ring. Restore this kid to his rightful place in my family. Go slay the fatted calf. Let's have a party. So they do. Big party, singing, dancing. Just imagine this whole thing, right? The whole, like, like whatever, place is just like lit up and people are whooping it up and it's just a big time and everybody's having fun and there's food and music and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, the older brother who's been there all along is out in the field working. And he comes back and he's like, what gives? So he grabs one of the servants and says, hey, what's happening? And he tells him the story. Your brother came back and we slayed the fatted calf and we're having a party. This is where I'll pick up. It's Luke 15, starting in verse 28. It says, but he became angry, he, the older brother, he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out, which is what I love. Like, even in my obstinance, even when I'm in my own pride and my own arrogance, even when I'm operating in ways that are counter, contrary to the culture of family that God has created, God still comes to me love that about God. And he's way more relentless than I am, which is hard to believe because I'm kind of like that. So he goes out. Father came out and began pleading with him. But the son answered the father said, look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, interesting, when this son of yours who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf. And the father says, son, you have always been with me in all that I have is yours. So think about this. 
Here's this son, completely a son, biologically a son, a son and an heir, by the way. Remember, 50% of that inheritance was split up, was divided up, and he had, in fact, he was the older brother. He probably had more than the younger, culturally speaking. So he had his inheritance, theoretically, right? It's all divided up. It's all his. He's a son. He's an heir. And yet he's behaving like a slave. He's behaving like a slave. Secretly, he wants a goat to celebrate with his buddies. He's like, I just want to have a party. I just want to get my guys together. I want to get my bros. I want to bro out. I want to grill out some goat, right? We're going to have a bonfire, right? Maybe get a lyre and a harp, you know, sing some, sing some tunes, you know? But you stingy old bugger, don't give me squat. Instead of seeing himself as an heir and the recipient of all that the father had, <laughs> he saw himself a servant and needed to wait to be paid. How many times do we allow ourselves to be led by a spirit of slavery and behave the same way. God, look what I did. God, I've been serving you faithfully all these years. How could this happen? How could you let this happen, God? God, how could you have allowed that to happen? I've, I've put in my time. Look at what I do at church. I pray all the time. I read my Bible every day. I give. We're still trying to get paid. Why are we still trying to get paid? I just read it to you. You are a co-heir with Christ. We are sons. And if we're really sons, then it should change the way that we think. And it should change the way that we behave. Right? So keep looking at this, right? Because he was being led by the spirit of slavery, the older son saw the world through that lens. He felt that he had to earn whatever he received. And furthermore, that the same principle should apply to his brother. He was mad. His brother didn't earn squat. In fact, had earned negative squat. Okay? He, seriously, like he's like, look at what this dope did. And you're going to throw him a party? Man. That's not fair. Hey, guess what? Spoiler alert. Brace yourself. God is not fair. God is just. God is good. But grace isn't fair. The favor that we have in Christ isn't fair. We didn't deserve it. Fairness comes down to getting what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. Can I get an amen? Anybody else in this room that doesn't want to get what they deserve? Okay, great. Then can we agree that we don't care if God is fair or not? Let's just agree that he's good and accept his free gift of grace. Okay? He is not fair. So life, therefore, doesn't need to be fair. 
But God is good. God is just. God is with us, right? All of that stuff is true. But fairness, fairness is a human construct. I think it was started by communists. (laughs) Don't take away my 501c3 now. I'm not telling anybody to vote who to vote for. (laughs) Being told to reel it in here. Okay, so listen. (laughs) Listen. Oh, man, that'd be a fun message. Okay. (laughs) You can do anything you want on your last day, right? All right, I'll let you know when my last day is, and then it'll be really, it's going to be a hoot. He felt that he had to earn whatever he received, right? And so then, but the father, the father just explains to his son, son, my family doesn't work that way. Okay? My family doesn't work that way. Sons are heirs, not slaves. Okay, Bill Johnson, Bethel Church in Reading said one time, I love this, he said, slaves work toward a place in family. Sons work from a place in family. Both work because there's work to be done. But slaves are trying to earn. Sons don't need to earn. Sons and daughters don't need to earn. We own it all. It's all ours. We contribute to the family's work because we are stakeholders. Not because we're trying to be compensated fairly. Jesus tells all kinds of parables about this whole idea of fairness. I'm telling you, if we could get this out of this, I'll say it, schoolyard nonsense out of our heads, fairness isn't a thing. Think about this. Psalm 50 tells us, tells us that the Lord owns everything. He says, the world is mine and all that is in it. Okay, hang on. So if the earth is his, if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, doesn't that mean we do too? Aren't we heirs? Aren't we sons? Look at the younger son. He wasn't much better. Okay, this dude didn't have have it figured out either. I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, literally, like, I try to put myself in this guy's, and I've been, I've been, I won't even go there. So I get the idea of being prodigal and coming back and feeling filthy and unworthy and all that kind of stuff. I'm not trying to, disregard that. I understand that. But like, man, like what must this dude have felt like? And to have the father just come in and just cut him off and just be like, okay, all right, forget it. I don't want to hear what you have to say about how you're not worthy to be my son or any of that kind of shenanigans. Just hush, put on the robe, the ring, sandals. Let's go have a party. So then he goes in, he's having this party, he's sitting at the table and everybody's just having a big time and all things are great and there's fun and all this other stuff. I can't imagine what he's thinking to himself. But this guy too, he had the same idea. He thought that that his place in family was something that he could lose. And since he had sinned against his father, he had lost the ability 
to be valuable enough to be called a son. This is the beauty of grace. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But he says you're worthy. He says it's yours. He says you're his. He says you're righteous. He says you're holy. He says you're good to the core. He says all of those great and amazing things and you and I and all of us are not so powerful as to cancel out the declaration of God. Any more than this younger son was powerful enough in his own behavior to change his own genetics. He couldn't change his DNA. He could not remove himself from family. And his father said, look, the culture of my family is not such where you can earn or lose. You are or you're not. You are or you're not. Now, the danger here is that some folks go to the place of that we all are. Hogwash. You are or you're not. You're a son by declaration. Receive it. Now, when we receive it, how silly is it that we receive this place as sons and yet we still operate as servants and as slaves? If we're really walking with a renewed mind towards sonship, if all of these things are true, What could we ever need to earn? What could we ever possibly have to lose? Why would we ever need to fear or try to control outcomes? Bless you. We get so wrapped up in our own ideas of how things are supposed to be. We get so wrapped up in, I'll call it expectations versus expectancy. God wants us to live with expectancy. He wants us to live with a, with a heart that says, I'm expecting that around the next corner, God is going to do something really, really, really cool. And even more than that, I don't even have to go around the next corner. He's doing something really, really, really cool right now. I just have to, I just have to get my head in the right space and find out what that is so I can jump in that river and be a part of it. Expectancy says God is good all the time. I don't have to worry about that. I don't question that. When negative things come into my life, when destruction comes into my life, when, when I get hurt, when I get knocked down, when I get kicked, when I get whatever, ain't God. That's never God. But God gives me beauty for ashes. 
And that's the expectancy I live with, is that God will give me beauty for ashes, that he will turn all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his good purposes, that he is always good all the time, that he has thoughts and plans for me, that for my good, for my welfare, not for my harm, not for my failure, and not for my destruction. And I trust that and I believe that. And when I live in that space of expectancy, I don't have to tie myself to my idea of what the expectations of the outcomes actually happen to be in my own mind. See, because when I tie myself to the expectation of an outcome, then guess what? I have to control that outcome. And when I control that outcome, guess who I'm being led by? Yeah, the spirit of slavery to fear. Because a hallmark of fear is control. Guess what, friends? Let me tell you another thing, another spoiler alert. The only kind of control you actually have is self-control. That's the fruit of the spirit. He's given it to you. Let's walk in it. You don't have the ability to control other people. You don't have the ability to control circumstances. You have the ability to control yourself. Because the spirit of God in you is giving you that. And so when I walk in this life, I have the ability to control whether I'm being led by the spirit of God, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, or I'm being led by slavery into fear. And I don't know about you, but I'm more and more and more and more am starting to recognize it when it happens. And I'm praying And I'm asking God, God, show me, God, show me, show me where my ego is hijacking, is hijacking my thinking to where I have to control or I have to protect or I have to do this or I have to do that. Friends, listen, walking with a renewed mind means living in sync with the mind of Christ that we've been given. It means that we see things the way that God sees them and think about things the way that God thinks about them. But what does it really look like to walk with a renewed mind towards sonship? What should be noticeably different about those who are called the sons and the daughters of the Most High? Well, according to Paul, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans, We read it just a few minutes ago. It looks like being led by the spirit of God rather than the spirit of slavery to fear. But again, how can we tell? How can we tell we're being led by the spirit of God or the spirit of slavery? Well, simple, right? The spirit of slavery leads us into fear. We talked about this, but again, fear isn't just as simple as being afraid of danger, right? Fight, flight, freeze. Right? This isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about behavior that masquerades itself in all kinds of forms of ego-driven behavior. And I'll list a few again and stop me, or don't stop me, but think about it, pray about it, take it, go, ooh, that's me. Because I know when I read this list, there's me in here, I'm telling you. And the Lord is continuing to show me this stuff. And he's saying, okay, son, Let's walk free from this this ego. I don't know, it was heck probably nine months or a year ago I I I I preached a message here called Death to Ego. Well, my ego is alive and well. 
and I'm trying to kill it. And in fact, I don't even need to because it's dead in Christ. Okay, and I'm alive in Christ. And the fact is that when my ego kind of leads me, that spirit of slavery into fear, it's really, I'm just playing with dead things. It's pretty gross. Not being enough. Having to prove ourselves. Having to defend ourselves. Having to control our image in the way that others perceive us. Having to justify ourselves. Comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. Having to hold on to our success or our status. Again, the list goes on and on and on and on. But the Spirit of God testifies in us that we are sons and heirs that we truly have nothing to lose, nothing to prove, and nothing to hide. And if the Spirit of God has given us this spirit of adoption, we are safe, we are secure, and we have everything we need. In the scriptures, we read that the Father, our Father, owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Even more so that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. And in the book of Hebrews, chapter one, verse two, we read that Jesus has been appointed heir of all things. And if we're co-heirs with him, according to the passage that we read in Romans, then I suppose that makes us heirs of all things right alongside of him. If this is true, what could we ever possibly have the fear? I want to thank you again for listening to this episode of A Church in the City. If you could use prayer for anything in your life, we would be honored to partner with you. Send us an email to prayer at dccgr.org. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. And then share this episode with a friend so that we're fulfilling our mission of empowering a movement of passionate Jesus followers. Before we go, a quick reminder about our fundraising for The Roots Project. You can get involved in a bunch of different ways by going to a churchinthecity.org slash miracle grow. Thanks, and until next time, goodbye.